The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. To all of you pet lovers out there, as I scour the internet for celebrity pet news, you know, I'm always finding that so many celebrities like us lose their pets too. And it seems more and more celebrities' dogs are passing on. Well, I don't know if you know this, but this past Sunday, or the second Sunday in September, is National Pet Memorial Day. And it's a day to remember, it's a day to take a moment and remember our pets who have passed on. And, and on Sunday over dinner, Dr. Fleck and I reflected on my beloved English toy spaniels who have passed away since I've moved to Florida. Well, first there was Roan, who passed away soon after I arrived here to live. And then um, Hudson, who died of cancer. And then recently, Thames, who passed away within the last three weeks, last month. He passed away, and I'm convinced all three of them are over Rainbow Bridge, frolicking and, and having a good time. And Sometimes I know I just sad, the sadness comes over me because I, I've missed them so much. So I'm sure like you, you have had pets that pass away and those pets, they, they touch your heart so much. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a picture of my pets who passed away uh, up on our Facebook page. And I want you to send me a picture of your pets. And this way we can honor our loved ones and your loved ones and uh, put these babies of ours on our Facebook page. And only, I think, wish in our hearts that one day we'll see them again. But now, I'm getting off clumped here. Now let's kick off the show with the uh, the weekly countdown. So in segment four, we're talking with James Mac McIntyre, who joins us to talk about the New Guinea singing dogs who were deemed to be extinct. But these dogs are alive and well. They kind of sing. <laughs> three. And in segment three, Dr. Sarah Crowley from Across the Pond talks to us about what kind of cat owners we are and how we play a role regarding our cat's predatory behavior. And in two, here I talk about one of my favorite singers, Dolly Parton and her god dog, and how Miranda Lambert continues to help pets and their owners. And in Flex Facts, I talk about allergic reactions to vaccines. You really don't want to miss this. No, you definitely don't. You know, and it's funny, and we're just going to finish up segment one by talking about really what's happening right now in our lives. I mean, you were, you know, there's hurricanes, there's wildfires out west. I mean, it's just, it's a, the election, everything is just so crazy. There's right a chaotic now. election. There's a chaotic election, but I mean, all of this, we don't even realize. I mean, it just affects how we there's live. There's COVID-19. Right. There's COVID, and there's COVID-19, which really affects people. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Here in the southeastern part of the United States, you know, we're having these hurricane warnings. And by now, you, by the time some of you listen to this show, you know, the hurricane will hit. And people are frightened to go to shelters now because of and bring their pets with COVID-19. So... I'm going to suggest if you have a chance, we'll make sure we put up on our social media pages our hurricane 
an emergency preparing show so that you can listen to it. Cause I think that's really important around this time in case you forget something, you need some last minute um, supplies and things. But I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming what's going on in this country right now. It really is. And it's, um, it's something that's, that's very much a challenge for us in our daily living and our, our daily living with pets and our daily living with pets. Absolutely. And trying to predict the future. It's so hard to think about, Next week, when we just have to think about today and tomorrow, I know. And you know, that are some of our some of our pet businesses, as well as restaurants and other ones, like the groomer, the dog walker. You know, all of those businesses are suffering. And now, with fires and hurricanes, you know, a lot of people are going to be wiped out. They are, and and so many of the businesses are going to be wiped out. And I I think of of my own practice. Actually, I'm much busier than I've probably ever been, and part of it has to do with the COVID and people being home with their pets, recognizing things that they think may be a problem. And therefore, I'm seeing more of them to ease their mind that maybe those aren't a problem. But the busyness that that I have is so much busier than, say, the poor restaurants down the street. It's a time where those lifelines really have to do with our pets and how we feel about them. They're the one lifeline that gets you up in the morning. They're the one lifeline early, of course who lets you, you can go out and take your pet out for a walk. I mean, for those people, you know, who are not working, they, they need that pet. So I'm not surprised they're spending more money if they see something wrong. Well, before COVID, we knew that the pets were part of the family. Since COVID has hit, They're the and we're spending most of our time at home, there's a huge expansion of that uh, desire to have them as part of the family. And they're accepted as part of the family. Well, you know, it's so funny because I was listening to something this uh, this past few days, and it was a story about a family. They were farmers, and they had a fairly thriving business, which, of course, now with the fires out west in California is all taken away. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, they were leaving their fire behind, but they were trying to gather up all their animals. Yes. And they got all their animals except one. They had this very heavy, you know, I'm talking 400-pound pig yes. who would not refuse to go. He did not want to be loaded up in the trail and they were wasting, you know, they were, they were wasting, I don't want to say wasting time, but they were, they needed to get out because the fire had already, already started coming down to their level. It was up above and then jetting down onto their property and he wouldn't come. So they had to leave him. It's funny, like the next day when everything settled down and the fires had stopped burning, their neighbor called them and told them the pig was at her house. (laughs) <laughs> he managed to save himself. I mean, it's funny how these animals, a lot of them, you know, do have the instinct to fend for themselves and, and, and survive these fires. I wouldn't want to say, you know, let your dog outside if there's a fire. But I mean, you feel bad because, you know, there are there are going to be other animals like that pig. But in this case, there might be some animals like your dog or the cat when you're trying to leave. Like, I don't know if you heard the story about a woman, her husband had gone to go get some supplies for them while um, it was at night uh, and they were surrounded by fires. This was up in Oregon, not California. The fire was raging and coming down to their property toward their house. And she woke up her mother and her and her son and the son grabbed the dog and uh, she ended up getting separated. The car wheels were burning and um she managed to get out. She couldn't see. She was all, she was, her face was burnt. She was crawling in the street and a guy pulled up 
who was, who said, I, I can help you. I can take you to the safety station, but then I got to, I just got to drop you there. Cause I got to go and find out about my wife, my mother and my son and the dog are up at the house. And she said, you don't recognize me. I'm your wife. Oh my. And then the next day, unfortunately they found his mother and the son in the car dead. And the dog was sitting on his lap. Not alive. No, they were dead. They were it's really dead. sad. Yeah. It's so sad. I mean, I expect that we're going to hear more stories like that, you know, in the next few weeks, whether they're fire stories or whether they're hurricane stories coming out of these, you know, these very two very different geographical areas. It's the whole West Coast. Yeah. And so everybody has been affected out there. I think what's really what's really interesting is, as I've seen uh, over the last six months with all my clients that are coming in with their pets, they're pet partners now. They're not pet owners. They're Everybody's a pet partner. There's that much caring between the pet and the pet partner. And that seems to intensify as we've spent more time with them and finding that actually the pet has been a good psychological help in us getting over our issues that we have to get over now. It's a family member, but I think it's a lifeline. So we're going to stop right there on that note. We're going to take a commercial break, be back, come back with our celebrity pet gossip and flex facts. You heard it here. The Pet Buzz, we're the dynamic pet duo. Stay tuned. We're offering you the best in pet talk radio. Sure, I'm a little rough and tough. Somebody's got to me. I like the outdoors. Camping, boating, riding in your truck with my head out the window. Yeah. I'll poop outside. Doesn't everyone? A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple. And it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. <laughs> I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Ever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. 
Teva Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Teva Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TevaPet.com. Teva Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. much for joining us on the pet buzz this show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo i'm petronologist charlotte reed and i'm veterinarian dr michael fleck time for a little celebrity pet news i'm pet gossiping about country music singers today it seems as if country legend dolly parton is a godmother on Instagram to French bulldog Billy the Kid, even posting a shout-out to him on National Dog Day. Turns out Billy's owner, which is Danny Nozell, the CEO of CTK Management, told people that Dolly and Billy quickly formed a bond that can't be broken after meeting for the first time. Dolly told Danny, I couldn't give this dog to any more ex-girlfriends. He would have to go to her, meaning the dog would have to go to Dolly. So I guess if you read between the lines, Danny has given a few dogs away in his time to girlfriends. Well, at least if something happens, Frenchie Billy the Kid will have a living legend to look up to. More kudos for Dolly Parton. And Miranda Lambert is stepping in to help pets impacted by the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. She will help music industry employees cover their pets' medical expenses. Recently, the singer has teamed up with the Waggle Foundation. If you remember, we interviewed them not such a long time ago to establish the Mutt Nation Fund. Lambert was inspired to launch the charity effort after her backup singer and close friend's dog fell ill in March as coronavirus infections began to spike in the U.S., This dog was diagnosed with a rare liver disorder, a condition that brought with it several hospital stays and relapses and medical treatments that he'll need for the rest of his life. And according to People Pets, Lambert said it was such an unexpected major expense at this already tough time. So she got to thinking there must be more people whose career in the mis industry had been on pause due to the lack of live performance opportunities and who are struggling with their pets' vet bills because music and pets are her two passions. She felt she had to do something and thought that starting this fund would help both the music community that's been so supportive of her and their pets. Well, thumbs up to Miranda Lambert. You know, so many people are helping each other these days, especially in their industry. And this reminds me of a lot of the top chefs promoting and helping the restaurant industry chefs and other restaurant industry employees at this time. But here's the deal now, what you've been waiting for. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction. Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. It's going to take long. You got the time. So, Dr. Fleck, what are we going to be talking about today? Today. Yes, today we're talking about the rare experience of vaccine allergic reactions in dogs and cats. Okay. You know, most pet owners are accustomed to taking their pet to the veterinarian for annual vaccinations, but pet owners do not think about what is actually occurring within the pet's body. In fact, immunization represents stimulation of the immune system, which is an inherently inflammatory process. Okay, so 
After the vaccinations, we expect our pets to come home and engage in normal activities. Some pets, as you said, yes. react. So what symptoms should a pet owner look for? Well, the, the minimal uh, reactions to look for uh, would be from the inflammatory response by nature, which symptoms include mild fever, lethargy, reluctance to play or exercise, and maybe reduced appetite. Expect some sneezing after one of those nasal vaccines. Okay. These symptoms are considered normal for the vaccination process. Treatment is generally unnecessary, though sometimes an appropriate anti-inflammatory medication is needed for just comfort. The patient can be expected to be back to normal within hours or sometimes a couple of days. Okay, so then what's not a normal reaction to the vaccination? Well, I must point out that occasionally a reaction, and probably it's to the tune of 0.002% of the population after receiving a vaccine, of an extreme reaction. As vaccine technology has advanced, these reactions have become rare, but it is important to know when to take your pet to the vet. If your pet within hours of the vaccine is having serious vomiting experiences or maybe serious diarrhea, or more importantly, even has the facial swelling or the hives, which can collapse the breathing mechanism, you should notify your veterinarian immediately. It is important to note that these symptoms can be part of an anaphylactic reaction, which could be potentially life-threatening in its most severe form. Anti-inflammatory injections can be used to halt the inflammatory cascade before it gets dangerously out of hand. If it's after hours, call your local emergency clinic. Be sure you know who to call in case of problems after your pet has been vaccinated. But you said these are so rare. I mean, it's very rare Point that you have this. 0.002% of your vaccines will be reacted to. And when we talk about reaction, it, it's not the serious type of reaction. That's just a reaction in general. It's like a mild. Okay, so... Let's talk about pets who are likely to have a reaction. Is there, you know, a specific type? Yeah, there's been some research done. And according to the research, small breed young adults between the age one and three, neutered male dogs, to add to it, are the ones that seem to react the most. As the dog size increases, the risk of vaccination reaction seems to drop. Not surprisingly, the more vaccines were given at one time, the higher the risk of maybe a reaction. Some vaccine doses against multiple organisms are called multivalent vaccines and include the basic distemper parvo vaccine for dogs and some bordetella or kennel cough infectious bronchitis vaccines. Since giving more vaccines at one time is associated with increased risks of reaction, one might expect that the use of multivalent vaccines would also increase the risk of a reaction. Most reactions occur in the same day, actually within an hour or so after the vaccine is administered. Hmm. So then how do you prevent vaccine reaction? I mean, obviously, you don't want to give too many vaccines in one day. That's, you know, most people don't do that, but that's one option. So what do you do? Well, it's on a case-by-case basis, of course, but let's, let's say that you've had a vaccine reaction, so there's, there's a history of it. So if you know your pet has had a vaccine reaction in the past, do not wait until after the vaccines have been administered again to tell the office that there was reaction. Inform that staff that there is a history of the reaction. It is also extremely important and helpful to know 
what your pets reacted to. Maybe a little lethargy, a little soreness, a little mild fever is considered, again, normal for the vaccination process. It does not constitute any significant reaction or anything to be concerned about. If you know what vaccine preceded the reaction, the staff will also need to know that uh, simply so they can segregate the vaccines as they administer them and know how to care for each vaccine. Additionally, medications such as antihistamines or corticosteroids can be used to head off allergic reactions before they happen. And with the use of these medications, a reacting pet can be vaccinated normally. And don't forget, when you're getting your annual vaccines, it's usually your annual physical exam. Right. Time to talk about the things, especially as your pet reaches maturity in that five, six, and seven-year-old group. Okay. Anything else? That's all the Flex Facts for this week. I love that. That's all the Flex Facts for this week. Well, I want you to stick around. And after the commercial break, you guessed it, more of the pet buzz with us, the Dynamic Pet Duo. Our next guest, well, you're going to find out what kind of cat owner you are. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. Hi, I'm Brad Garrett. The investigation of the Humane Society of the United States exposed the link between pet stores and puppy mills. Large puppy mill operations were busted in Maine, Oklahoma, Texas, and Virginia. Bottom line, puppy mills are cruel and their puppies are often sick. So do yourself a favor and go to your local shelter for your next dog. You'll get an inoculated, already fixed dog for almost nothing. So you'll not only save some money, but you'll also save a life. Welcome back. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. Well, I want to talk about my I likey of the week. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. Are you feeling nutty? Well... After his bird-watching neighbor complained about all the squirrels in his property, Michael Dudko of Hillard, Ohio, got creative when designing a gathering area for local squirrels in his backyard. He actually crafted a bar for the critters. Duco made the wooden bar so that it offers seven variety of nuts on tap, each with Drake-inspired names. You've got Cashew Dunicle, Peanut Pot Pilsner, Almond Ale, Pistachio Pale Ale, Walnut Stout, Sunflower Saison and Pecan Porter. Well, according to CNN, the wooden structure took eight hours to create. It measures about 20 inches in width and 16 inches in height. Duco told the outlet that he's in the process of patenting the design to kickstart a business to make the so-called nutty bars for others. He began selling smaller replicas of the bar at Etsy for about $175 
telling prospective buyers your friends and family will go nuts watching squirrels indulge in their very own nutty bar. So check out the nutty bar on our social media pages. It is totally terrific. I mean, I want one. So now let's talk cats and cat owners with our next guest. You know, cat owners are a key interest group who are central to any effort to minimize cat predation on vulnerable wildlife, but their views are often overlooked. Our next guest is sharing her research that aims to work with cat owners to identify effective, practical means of reducing cat predation on wildlife without compromising and potentially enhancing cat welfare. So joining us today is Dr. Sarah Crowley who is working as a postdoctoral researcher within the College of Life and Environmental Science at University of Exeter in the United Kingdom. She specializes in understanding the social dimensions of managing introduced and invasive species. Her research interests include environmental conflict, human-animal interactions, and introduced and invasive species management and policy. So, Dr. Crowley, Charlotte and I are pleased to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you very much for having me. So, Dr. Crowley, what prompted this study of yours? Well, this study was part of a larger project that we're doing at the University of Exeter called Cats, Cat Owners and Wildlife, which aims to work with cat owners to identify sustainable and cat-friendly approaches to reducing wildlife predation by domestic cats. The conservation organizations all over the world are concerned about the impact of outdoor cats on wildlife. And at the same time, we know there's debate among cat owners and experts about the safety and welfare risks of allowing cats to roam, but also keeping them indoors. Cat owners, really central to both these issues. So if we're going to reduce the amount of wildlife killed by cats, um, cat owners are going to play a huge part in that. So then please discuss your subject, you know, the cat, cat owners, as well as your study protocol. Thank you. Um, so a lot of research has focused on cats rather than cat owners. And we wanted to find out what their, what their views on roaming and hunting behavior were. So we carried out a sorting exercise with cat owners in the UK and they sort cards with statements on them, such as I worry about the effects of cats on garden bird populations or cats should have the right to roam where they please. And they arranged those cards in a grid that looks a bit like a solitaire layout. And we analyzed those arrangements to identify groups of people with shared views. I'm laughing because I hear a dog in the background. <laughs> I know. I'm so I, no, no, it's actually, no, you know, <laughs> it just goes, no, no, it, it's funny because it just goes to show you, you know, we know the British love their cats, but they <laughs> love their dogs just as much. So it's not uncommon, just like Americans across the pond, that you have both, right? Well, yeah, I mean, actually, ironically, I don't have a cat at the moment because uh, <laughs> my my dog tends to chase them. So um, that's probably what he's barking at right now. Um, but uh, but uh, uh, I have kept cats for 20 years, so um, I'm, I'm familiar with the issues that cats owners face. Of course you are. Of course you are. Okay. So, um, you know, I think it's so interesting. I mean, just this study in general, because we see these movements all over the world. I mean, even in Australia, where they're trying to call cats and right, Dr. Fleck, all of this behavior, even with the rescue groups that you work with. Absolutely. It's just, it's got, and, and I, and it's funny because when we saw the study, we really started thinking like there's never any cat owner input when we address these issues. So that's why we're excited that you're here. Oh, great. I'm, I'm glad that you think the same thing. We've, we've often seen this framed as a kind of de debate between cat people and, and wildlife people. 
Um, and I think this research really shows that those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can, can be concerned about cats and wildlife. And cat owners actually have really diverse views and they haven't really had much of a say in this so far. Absolutely. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with Dr. Sarah Crowley, whose recent research identified different types of cat owners and their feelings towards their cat's predatory behavior. Dr. Sarah, talk to us about what your research results were. I mean, how many different types of cat owners are there? And can you can you describe them a little for us? Yeah, absolutely. So we identified five different types of cat owner. Um, in reality, probably there's more and people perhaps associate, you know, more or less with more than one of these. But these are sort of typologies that you, you might say. So the first one is our concerned protector. They're primarily concerned with cat safety. They're most likely to keep their cats indoors. Um, and they don't actually feel particularly strongly about hunting, perhaps because they often keep their cats indoors. We also have then sort of the opposite of them, which is our freedom defender, who prioritize cat freedom. And they don't mind cats hunting so much. They might even keep them as pest controllers on rural properties, for example. Um, and they don't really like the idea of confining their cats. We have the tolerant guardian who want cats to have outdoor access, but dislike their hunting, often because they're concerned about the welfare of the animals killed as well. But they're tolerant. We call them tolerant because they accept hunting as something that cats do. They're not always sure how to manage it. Then we have our conscientious caretakers, our real conservationists, who are concerned about cat impacts on wildlife, particularly birds. And they're most likely to confidently and actively manage hunting behavior, such as using belt collars. And then finally, we have our laissez-faire landlord. Um, they haven't really thought in detail about many of these issues. They might have just had a cat that turned up on their doorstep. So it's not that they don't care, but they don't necessarily feel well-informed or engaged enough to feel strongly about any of these issues. Well, let's turn ourselves away from the cat and let's go to the cat owner. How can our listening audience determine what type of a cat owner they are? They can visit our website, which is www.wildlifescience.org forward slash cat quiz, and they can take our quiz. It's not the scientific version. I'm afraid that takes a lot longer but uh, the, the sort of five-minute version will hopefully give you an indication. Yeah, I took the quiz. <laughs> what did you find? I was one of those crazy cat owners who's, you know, like, what's the strict one? The concern protector. Yeah, I was the concern protector. I mean, I do let my cat go outside in the yard a little bit, and it started because mm -hmm. it started when I moved to Florida. When I first lived in New York, he never went outside because we lived in an apartment. But when we moved to Florida, the door was open for the dog. So he started going outside. We don't have a lot of birds. In my new house, there's tons of birds, but I have feeders primarily set up in the front. But I think it's a combination for cat owners to recognize that if they create a cat-specific home with sconces or cat trees and provide exercise and hunting, their cats will be happier and they won't have to worry so much. I think that's where you kind of get the cat owner stuck. They just think if you have a bowl and maybe a toy, that's it. The cat's going to take care of himself. I mean, how many times do you hear cat owners say, ah, oh, leave the food on the bowl, go away for the week, right? Every day. Right. And how many of them really understand it's important to have a cat-specific home? Very few. Right. So, I mean, I don't know if it's, I mean, they used to, you know, they've done studies in saying cat owners don't spend any money. They spend as little as possible. I mean, I thought now we'd see some movement. And now there's even like great cat furniture. Right. 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 What great information. Dr. Crowley, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, everyone, what a what a great segment, especially if you're a cat owner. I know. Who has a dog like Dr. Crowley, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, everyone, that was Dr. Sarah Crowley discussing how the cat owners regard the hunting prowess 
of their cats, which can, of course, be helpful, but also be a problem as outdoor cats kill many wild animals each year. Well, to learn more about this research and also to find out what kind of cat owner you are, now you heard me, I took the quiz, visit wildlifesciences.org. Because you know you want to know. So up next, learn more about the dog who is saving koalas down under, as well as the man who's going to tell us if the hard-to-find, almost impossible-to-locate New Guinea singing dog, and if they really do sing. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. Petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban, suburban, and, and country. country. Bringing it to you each week, talking about pets that you know and pets you don't know. Well, now let's kick off this segment with the global news block. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. From down under, Australian scientists are using sniffer dogs to rescue koalas struggling to survive damaging bushfires as they try to avoid a repeat of last year's high death count of this native animal. Led by Bear. Now, Bear is a border collie, an Australian cattle dog cross who was abandoned by his family and had been rescued and retrained to detect koalas. That's what I thought was really cool. All these dogs who are abandoned or kicked to the curb, they go on and they have these great careers. Well, as a detection dog for conservation, Bear finds sick, injured, or starving koalas that otherwise would have perished. He now has saved more than 100 koalas in the country's worst summer fires in decades from late 2019 to early 2020. And about 6,000 Koalas were killed and thousands of hectares of their natural habitat destroyed. Well, almost a year since the first fire started that season, Bear is back. Back is Bear. Bear is back with a focus on the northern state of Queensland. While it is unlikely that Australia will see bushfires like last year, the country is still preparing for multiple fires that can impact many hectares of koala habitat during the next fire season. And in places such as Queensland and New South Wales, where populations are already declining, every koala counts. Well, it seems like our next guest is a waiting Dr. Fleck. Okay. I just, I just wanted to know, have you heard of the New Guinea singing dogs? No. I know. They're called NGSDs. Cool. NGSDs. Well, our next guest is going to talk about them and his years of research trying to actually find these 
rare but almost extinct dogs. Wow, this is great having something new that I don't even know anything about in the pet industry. Well, our next guest is James McIntyre, president of the New Guinea Highland Wild Dog Foundation. He is the researcher who forays in the field were central to the discovery of, of these, these dogs. NGSDs. NGSD. Let me write that. NGSD. Got it. Hey, Mac. Charlotte and I are pleased to welcome you to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you. I'm happy, happy to be able to speak with you all today. Let's get right to it. <laughs> Let's do that now. So, do the New Guinea singing dogs really sing? No, uh, absolutely not. In fact, that name was given to them by the people at the Taronga Zoo. The Taronga Zoo was the first institution that, that held them many, many years ago. And they gave them the name of New Guinea Singing Dog. And it was because of their unique vocalizations. And they don't sing as we know it, but they howl. And they have this eerie, tonal, melodic howl at a frequency of no other dogs on the planet. And uh, it's really something to hear, and I've had the opportunity to hear it up at above 14,000 feet in a wide-open cavern, and it was just magical, mystical, and eerie at the same time. Do you have a, re a recording of it? or? Yes, I have one recording that I was lucky enough to, to get during a driving rain at about 39 degrees. We had a dog come up behind us, and... Uh, it responded to some some calls, and uh, I've got a video that I can certainly send you. I don't have anything at my fingertips right here. Yeah, whenever it would be great. I mean, I'm sure our listening audience would love to love to see it and hear it. Well, tell yeah, us a, tell us a little bit um, about the NGSTs and their origin, the New Guinea singing dogs, and where they're from originally. It's it's a work in progress trying to determine where dogs in in certain part of the world has come from. It looks as though this New Guinea singing dog, Highland Wild Dog, had its origins in Southeast Asia. And there are two schools of thought about how they got down to the island of New Guinea. Uh, some people say that they came down in two migrations. Uh, the first migration where they may have come alone, just as dogs. And then the second migration may have been when they came with people who were populating that area of the world. Of course, they would travel in their dugout canoes with all of their valuable possessions, their children, their chickens, their dog, uh, and their pigs. So they believed that they populated that area, and then the dogs moved on to Southeast Asia. That is the best they know right now about the origins of this particular dog. Yeah, I mean, what I found interesting about this dog when I looked at pictures of it, it kind of looks like a Shiba Inu. It has a rusty coat. The hair is a little shorter, and the face is similar, but a little bit more narrower than a Shiba. But it's that, and they have the turned-up tail, correct? That is very perceptive of you. And like I mentioned before, Shiba Inus are from Asia, and they may have been the progenitor of this basic group of dogs as they as they migrated with people or by themselves uh, through time many, many, many years ago. So they are a distant relative of a Shiba Inu, which is also considered a primitive dog, just like New Guinea singing dogs are still considered primitive dogs. Discuss their habitat and how the Canada live. The people who know best, the people who actually live 
in the mountainous areas say that these dogs inhabit the high central mountain spine, remote areas of the central mountain spine, on the entire island of New Guinea, up above perhaps 10,000 feet. The ones that we studied were above the tree line, up above 14,000 feet, but there are some that live in forested areas, and they live remotely, reclusively, far away from villages and village people. Uh, the only time that they see them, which is very occasionally, is when they're off on hunting trips. And a, and a person may tell you that they've seen a wild dog maybe two, three times in their entire lives. And they clearly differentiate between the wild dog and their village dogs or hunting dogs through some kind of island science that they know of. They know that these dogs are different. So when you use the research, I mean, how, I mean, I would assume like the next step is thinking of ways to, you know, promote the dog and keep it from becoming extinct, correct? Well, absolutely. Uh, we want to conserve it in the wild. And it's always good to have a couple separate populations. And it's very good that there's a population of them in captivity, the New Guinea singing dogs. The only problem with that is the population in captivity came from a limited amount of founders. Some people will say three animals, some people will say eight animals. So since the 1950s, these dogs have continuously bred with those three to eight individuals, and they're highly inbred. So the captive population of New Guinea singing dogs is in danger of going extinct because of this. So since we have found another population of these dogs in the wild uh, who are very genetically diverse, as, as you would expect wild animals to be, that the the goal of our next trip is to try and either bring a dog back or collect some semen so that we can infuse it into the captive population so it remains genetically healthy. And, of course, on the other end, we hope to conserve the dogs in the wild uh, just by getting recognition by these dogs in the IUCN and the Canadian Specialist Group to recognize now that they have proof that this dog does indeed uh, survive in the wild and is legitimate that we are able to have conservation efforts to try and promote local education and save habitat and maybe discourage hunting in some instances. Well, wow. What a, what a great segment, you know. Mac, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you so very much. And, and I really appreciate your, your interest. I, I know you can detect my enthusiasm and I just hope that it transmits to your listeners. It's that whole adventure. That whole pioneer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then to find and to see these dogs. I mean, it's just amazing. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Well, it's always too soon to wrap the show, especially after a segment like the one with Mac McIntyre. I love that. Okay, so will you do me the honors of thanking our guests? Yes, a really special thanks to our guests this week, Dr. Sarah Crowley and Dr. James McIntyre. Awesome. And, of course, we must thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin, coat, and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And our new sponsor, the Pet Vet, <laughs> Bradenton, Florida, and Miami, doing excellent discount work in veterinary services for pets in the Florida area. And if you have a question, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. 
We'll cover it next week on our show. But most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. And as I say every week, peace out and pet love. And goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. My name is Michelle Schaefer. I'm the mom of three boys, and I'm from Haddonfield and North Wildwood, New Jersey. I met Aladdin through my work with Lilo's Promise Animal Rescue, and I foster the emaciated dogs that come into our program. Aladdin came to us. He had been dumped at the side of the road. He weighed about 18 pounds. He had broken bones, other wounds, and he was missing 12 teeth. He was the worst abuse case I had ever seen. The most moving experience that I've had while working with Aladdin were when we were first responders at the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. And Aladdin usually works off leash. He was on leash that night and he led me over to a very specific person. And here that man had been in the nightclub the night of the shootings. He and Aladdin shared a very special moment that really made me cry. Aladdin has changed the way I see the world in a million different ways. The main thing is to treat people with kindness and compassion. My name is Michelle Schaefer, and Aladdin and I are individuals.